let's see, I spent 35 years in the personal financial services industry all around the world. I've had the opportunity to work in uh, some great countries and I've learned so much about personal finance and people's needs. And the interesting thing is, the needs are all the same. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on this episode, we're going to talk with Harry Stout. Harry has written an amazing book called The Financial Verse, and he's somebody that I really, really kind of learned a lot about who he is from his book, and I think you guys are going to fall in love with him. He has a ton of knowledge about finances. He's uh, writing more books that he's going to tell you about. But I just just so so appreciate him taking the time to meet with us, to sit down and really talk about this thing that he's passionate about, which is finances, just like mm. us. Um, and I hope you guys will really, really benefit, I know you will, from this conversation. So Harry, why don't you start with, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you on the show. Well, well thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you today. Awesome. Well, let's start with just a little bit of a personal. Tell us a couple minutes of, or whatever time you want to spend on, who are you? Tell us a little bit about your family. What got you involved in finances? And, and then we can go from there. Let's see. I spent 35 years in the personal financial services industry all around the world. I've had the opportunity to work in uh, some great countries, and I've learned so much about personal finance and people's needs. And the interesting thing is, the needs are all the same. Yeah. From a, uh, from my career standpoint, I started out as a uh, I was CPA. Please don't hold that against me, mm-hmm. and uh, and went from being a CPA to embarking on an over thirty years in personal financial services. I've worked in advice, general insurance, life insurance, annuities, and I've been able to help distribute those products and create them for consumers on a global basis. Um, right now in my life, I'm in the fulfilling stage, what I call the fulfilling stage of my life. I've, uh, I'm, I'm done full-time work. I write personal finance books, and I try to contribute and make a difference to people's lives. That's awesome. Thanks, Harry. I love your heart to share what you've learned for over 30 years all around the world serving people in finances. And I love that you began to package that into this book, the financial verse. And so it's a common sense approach for your money. And Harry, tell us a little bit about the book. Tell us what was it that spurred you to write this? What were you looking to achieve? I was looking to write a book that someone could spend two hours reading that would allow them to understand what the financial life looks like, what their financial life looks like, and such that they would be comfortable seeking advice from others to help them with their problems. So it's difficult to take the financial world or the financial verses, I call it, and distill it. But that's really what I tried to do with respect to the book. And I had four objectives. My first was I wanted to share my 30 years of personal finance experience. How could I take that and, and, and help it and make it meaningful for people? Secondly, and I don't want you to laugh on this one, education is so important, but most people today despite a lot of good efforts, have no formal personal finance education. Mm, And a great example that I use is all states in the United States require you, as you get your driver's license, to have a license to take time behind the wheel, potentially maybe a number of hours, to attend a classroom study 
we do that to drive a car. Now, with respect to drive money, only 17 states mandate that someone before they graduate from high school take a personal finance course, only 17 states. And the, and the disappointing aspect of this is if you look prior to 2009, that's much, much less. The number of states was much less. So we really, in our country, and actually around the world, there's a lack of personal finance education. The third thing I wanted to do was tell the life story of money for the average person. What are you going to face? What are the risks? What are the challenges? And what opportunities are out there for you? Uh, I wish in many, and personally, if, if someone had told me these things, I think it would have made my life with money much easier. Mm -hmm. And I would have been able to, to be more successful. I was successful, but I would have been more successful. And the last thing I wanted to do, and, and David, I appreciate your comments. I wanted to give back. Uh, if you, I wanted to share what I have learned to help others. I tell my kids I'm a walking Wikipedia. Uh, all you have to do is ask and I will be able to help you. Your decision, but I'm here to help. And I think with money, that's the case. So those were the four things I wanted to do. And how can we help people really feel more comfortable talking about money and taking appropriate actions that they need to do? Mm. That's really good. I. I so appreciate the fact that you broke down the book the way you did, and we're going to get into that in a moment, but why do you think it's become so difficult for people to navigate this financial verse that you talk about in the book? Uh, is it an economy thing? Has our economy changed, or has the workplace changed? I know education has a big part of that, but how, how have you seen over your lifetime of serving in this area and helping people with this area, how have you seen this change happen, and why is it so difficult? Leo, I think overall, when you look at it, I think money today is a much more precious asset than it's been in a long, long time. So it's, it's harder to come by and you need it for so many things. But I think there are three factors that are really driving why, why financial life's more difficult today. The first is technology. And look at the way technology, how we deliver financial services today. You've both seen the example of the father and son at the mall. And uh, the, the, young, the young boy is asking his dad, dad, I need more cash. Just go over there to the money machine and get me that cash. Not knowing what is involved in getting the money inside the machine and that the machine just doesn't give you money. So how technology is being used to deliver financial services, I think makes it harder. Secondly, technology is having a huge impact on job creation and elimination. Now I'm a baby boomer. I had six jobs in my professional career. My children are millennials. They'll have 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. That's much more difficult. How do you retrain? How do you get reeducated for those types of things? How do you fund that retraining? That's difficult for people. Also, if you're having 10 to 15 jobs, the old days are gone of having a pension and so on. So it's, it's, I think that makes it harder. Secondly, yeah. secondly, and you may not think about this one, is medical enhancements. The great news is for most people, we're going to live a lot longer the bad news is, where do you get the cash to fund those longer years of life, right? right? I mean, it's, 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 it's there. And for most people, especially people in their 20s today, they stand a good chance of living well into their 90s. And, and for me, so many baby boomers, they need to plan to live into their mid-80s or beyond. Mm -hmm. Where do you get the cash to do that? And thirdly, and I think, Leo, you hit the nail on the head, there have been economic changes. The ones that really resonate with me are, number one, 
lower rates of return going forward. Now, 2019 was a fantastic year. The markets performed in a great way, but I don't know if you can expect to have such high rates of return on your savings and investments going forward. So I think that makes it harder for people. If you have lower rates, you're gonna to have to save more money for your later years. Along with that, I, today we have lower available wages, uh, jobs with high wages, and that's a problem. Lack of pension plans is another issue. And then fundamentally, our living costs are so much higher and in particular with respect to healthcare and education. Education is startling, as we know, the cost of higher education. So when you add those, all, those things together, technology, medical enhancement, and the, just the econ overall economic environment, you makes financial life very difficult. And as a result, people have to be knowledgeable to deal with this changing environment. So those are my key thoughts. Yeah, that's great. I, I had a question on just the financial verse. I thought that was a really cool title for the book. Where did that term come from in your mind? You know, I know we're talking about the universe here, but but what does that look like in your mind? You, you, you'll both get some fun out of this one. My daughter's a, a, a real expert on the Marvel, uh, the Marvel yes, comic universe. Okay. Yes. And so uh, she and I, were, she's, she, we tend movies together. We do a variety of things. She's teaching me that. And I'm saying, you know, I need to really teach you more about the financial verse. And I've, I've tried to do it as you've grown up, my youngest, and I need to help you. So that's really where it came from. Oh, and cool. uh, so it, it, to me, it was topical because when you look at it, we know all the characters in, in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. What do you know about the money universe and all the yeah. things that you're going to do there? So I figured hey, one of my gifts to her was, here's what money is all about in a, in a better way for her and, her, and so many of uh, people like her. Yeah, I love that. And I love even just when you go through the chapters of the book and kind of the subchapters, you really are. It's kind of like characters in the verse, like in the universe that you're like, okay, hey, have you learned about this character? Have you learned about this topic? And and it really does provide a very broad view that that, like you said, you can absorb this book in just a couple hours. And the most important thing in my mind is it gives you the language and the tools and the confidence to go actually sit down and make some decisions. And you said, go and sit down with a professional that can help you make decisions. But this, like, I remember, you know, when you first start stepping into the financial verse, into money and beginning to learn how to do this, and you're like, I don't even know how to approach a realtor about buying a house. I don't know how to approach uh, any kind of CPA about accounting and taxes. I don't know how to approach a CFP about my long-term investments. I just don't know how to do that. You're afraid to even sit down with the professional because you have such little language and knowledge that this book really does a phenomenal job of giving that overview so that you can step in confident. And that's a little bit of what Leo and I have tried to do is try to break down some of the jargon in the industry so that people have a better concept of the financial verse. So I think that's really cool, Harry. Uh, thank you for putting this together. Um, so I guess as I'm looking out and I'm thinking through, you know, all the different things that people have to learn, all the, the topics that are, are valuable in this area. And obviously you, Leo, and I are always going to want to learn everything in this area. But what are the, <laughs> yeah, we, we love it. But what are the, the specific financial risks that people are facing today? And like, what are the things that maybe somebody should start with? What are the most important risks in your mind? Because if somebody's going to get a broad education, but then dig a little deeper into one or two areas, what are the things that are the highest risks for people in your mind? 
Sure. In the book, David, I, I describe what I call the eight key financial risks. I'm not going to go through all eight with them because uh, people can go to the book and, and, and see what those are, but I'll, I'll highlight three for you. And some of them are, I think, a little different. The first risk I'd look at is education risk. And that's the risk of getting an education that doesn't produce an income. I have a good friend who uh, will not allow, he has five children, he will not allow any of his children to study in ology. And his... <laughs> He said, if you're going to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to pay for your college education, I want to pay for a college education that's going to enable you to get a job that makes you self-sustaining. And I don't mean to in any way disparage individuals who want to follow a course of education that, that fills an educational passion for them and so on. I would have loved to do the same thing. But I, for instance, I went to college to get a job. Mm-hmm. And I think today, most people, given the high cost of education, need to uh, be able to make sure that education is going to produce an income. So education risk is one risk. Another risk is debt risk. Mm-hmm. And that's the risk of taking on far too much debt that you're a slave to debt service. And b- may it be it personal debt, be it education debt, um, you, can't, you cannot take on more debt than you can service. We see so many aspects of that today in pe- people's personal finances. Uh, I think the great example is car loans. I mean, the average new car loan, I think, is, and, and you both are, are very well versed at this, uh, I think $35,000 is approximately is the average, uh, the average car, uh, new car loan. And I think we're up to over 70 months of duration for the average car loan, with many car loans now reaching out over 84 months. You can borrow, you can borrow money and pay it back over 84 months. Mm-hmm. So to take on high levels of debt and be a slave to debt service is a huge risk. So in my view, I, I think there's good debt and there's bad debt, but ultimately you have to pay it back. Mm-hmm. So you have to pay it. So what do you do? And so that's an, another risk. And the third one I'll highlight for you, and it's a, it's a major one to me, is longevity risk. We talked about earlier medical enhancements allowing everyone to live longer. That's fantastic. How are you going to pay for those later years? How are you going to create income streams that allow you to have the money you need to cover those later years of life? And then we could spend time going through what I believe is the most underappreciated risk, which is long-term care risk. And the fact that people really aren't preparing for long-term, the long-term care needs. Most people, as, as I think there's a, a, a common thought process, most people feel as though Medicare is going to pay for their, long, their long-term care. And that's not the case. I mean, you've got a limited benefit under Medicare and it's really up to you. And, and so what are you doing to prepare for that and to put some money away or to purchase some product that at least minimizes that risk to a certain extent? So that's three examples. But in my book, I go through eight different risks. I talk about each of them and what people should think about. And and the nice thing is, for so many of these risks, there are insurance coverages, products or strategies that you can take on if you're planning on a long-term basis to help minimize them. You're never going to eliminate them, but you'll minimize them. Hmm. I just so appreciate you going through those risks. When I was reading the book, that's one of the things that I really appreciated because you said these are not things you can ignore. These are things, they're going to happen. They're coming your way at some season in your life. You'll have to deal with each one of them, if not multiple. And there are things that you can do, proactive things that you can do. So whether you're managing your money well today or not, if you're not considering every one of these risks, it's like having a hole in your bucket and you're trying to fill it or multiple holes. And I think it's so important to understand these risks because you could be doing a lot of things right. I just, I'm speaking to our audience right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. You can do a lot of things right, but do one or two things either wrong or not do them at all. 
and it could leave that door open where you're going to be in financial mess. And so we really encourage you to get this book, to look at these eight risks, and really consider what you need to do today, uh, no matter what age you are, to to fill those holes, to make sure that you're prepared. Harry, you, you also mentioned something through this process that I really wanted to dive into, which is the whole issue of savings. A lot of these risks can be purchased through insurance policies and things like that, but many of them will have to be sustained through finances that we have in the future. So there has to be a pot of, of income there or, or some form of savings built up that's going to allow us to take care of some of these things, both our, our cost of living once we stop working, um, other things that need to be funded through that. And one of the things you say in your book is that financial exper- experts, and we've said this, that you should save at least 10 to 15% of your annual income. But you believe that given today's environment, that should be a lot more. Why don't you go into that just briefly? Why should people save more than 10, 15%? Sure. I think there's two, two key reasons. First off, you probably are not going to be able to save 10 to 15% every year. You might have a career crisis, an illness, something may come along that's going to interfere with your ability to save money. So, you know, if you have a great year financially, you get an extra bonus, you do well, something comes along, you get a windfall saving more than that 10 to 15%, I think is so important. And people really ought to take a look at it. And then secondly, it gets back, Leo, to the, uh, to the point about lower future returns. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to, and we're beginning to see this, by the way, and, and, and I'll uh, compare it to what's going on in Western Europe right now, with many of the countries there that provide significant pension benefits for their older citizens, they're starting to cut back on those benefits because of the negative interest rates that are applicable in Europe. Now, we don't have negative interest rates here in the United States. We have lower interest rates. But if you can only get a lower return on your investments, you need to put more money away now. So again, having a plan, thinking about the future, those it really mandates that you put more money away there. So we've got to get our savings all lined in, in a much better way than I think in prior generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And that's why I wanted to really for us to touch on it, because I think sometimes people can very easily say, well, I'm saving 10, 15 percent. I'm going to be OK. But in those seasons when, like you said, if they get a bonus or they get a huge raise, if they can bump that up, there's no way you can mess up if you save more. But you could definitely mess up if you don't save enough. And that's our point here is it's really important to understand there's going to be seasons. And I think it also ties into this multiple career um, life that we have now. When you make a transition from one career to the next, there's always going to be possibly a stagnation in income or maybe even a dip into your income or a seizing of your income where you have to live on some of your savings in order to get to the next stage. Maybe you have to spend more on education. So savings really has to be a lot more aggressive than this 10, 15, 15% we've been talking about. Totally agree. And I think it's interesting because Leo and I have often mentioned different savings rates and how much more quickly you'll be able to move into a retirement or an income replacement phase. But our general advice has been, hey, start with 10 to 15 percent. But both Leo and I, we have always saved more like 30, 40 and 50 percent of our income. Now I say always. There was a beginning stage where we weren't doing that. But today that's where we are. And that's why we also try to keep it a little bit more general with our four rules where we say spend on purpose and then save before you spend. But then the next step is to increase that financial margin because we all know that something is going to come that we're not expecting, just like you guys have talked about, that we are going to have to be ready for a career transition, especially, like you said, Harry, in this this age where we are today, 
this generation is going to experience three to four times as many career transitions. And so you have to be ready and able. So it's interesting because we have often said, you know, 10 to 15% is a great place to start. But long term, I love this idea of getting to a higher place of margin so you have more flexibility. Indeed, understood. All right, Harry, let's get into probably one of my favorite parts of your book is that you broke this um, financial verse into three stages of a person's financial life. Uh, Would you go over what are they, first of all, and then go over how have they changed and what are the key things people should expect at the different stages of this financial uh, life? Sure, Leo. And I think first off, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, the first, the first stage is adulting. And, and I think in our society today, based on the economic environment that we're in, as well as our parenting decisions, if by age 30, the, uh, the, the young adult, if you will, has been able to get their general education, they're sound in their, relation, their personal relationships, and they're able to support themselves fully such that the bank of their parents, the bank of mom and dad, as many people call it, is closed by the mm-hmm. time they reach 30. They're economically self-sufficient. That adulting phase is so important. So they really have to learn financial basics. They've got to be able to get that education and a proper cost-benefit relationship. But that adulting phase is so important. But again, I think by age 30, if individuals today are totally on their own and able to sustain themselves, that's great. So that's the first stage, adulting. Now, unfortunately, the next stage is people is where people have the drudgery of life. It's called the striving stage. And there I have a, some different thoughts from what I think you're going to see conventional uh, financial individuals talk about in the media. And I think striving is going to be from age 30 to age 70. So I think people today are going to have to work longer for two reasons. One, to fund the longer life expectancies. But secondly, because uh, they're going to need to, they need to save money over that period of time. And so this striving phase is the phase in which individuals earn the money that they need to pay for their current needs, as well as to put money away for their future needs. And to do that, there's a variety of issues that, that they need to consider. What lifestyle are they going to ad- uh, adopt? I think, as David was saying earlier, if you're going to save much more money, maybe you make a, a very clear decision to live below your means, which is a wonderful thing to do. I know it sounds like a common sense principle, but it's true. Live below your means and put that extra away for, for, for that, that future time period when you're going to need it. But the hardest thing today for people striving is the fact that they've got to pay for their current expenses, educate their children, put money away for the future. And for so many people in our society today is to pay for the caregiving needs that they have for uh, uh, their parents. So many of their parents may not have provided for their later years as well as possible. So that striving period is there. And then lastly, after age 70, I, uh, I have something called the fulfilling stage. I don't call it retirement. I call it fulfilling. And one of the reasons gets back to the fact that people today are healthier. And as I talk to individuals in, around the country, they say, look, Harry, I'm not going to retire. Maybe I'll work part-time. I'll do charitable work that I want to do. I have a, 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 a passion to travel. I want to travel. I want to see the world, or I want to give back in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though you're just going to stop work and you're going to retire. I don't think that's real. I think the reality is people are seeking fulfillment in their later years. And with so many people living longer, they're going to have the time and the health to do that. Now, Again, those are major, in that fulfilling stage of your life, key issues. You've got to pay for your discretionary expenses. 
If you're going to be a world traveler, how do you fund it? How do you have the cash to pay for the traveling that you want to do or your charitable work? And then lastly, and I think the wild card for that, that, that over age 70 time period is healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. How are you going to fund those through a combination of Medicare, uh, the supplemental coverages that are in place, as well as having some protection for a long-term care event should one take place? Mm-hmm. So there are specific, and I, and I didn't go through all of them, there are five to ten different challenges that individuals are going to face in each stage of the financial verse that they really need to sit down, understand, and see if they're taking appropriate financial actions to protect themselves. That's great. Love the way you phrase those three stages of life, though, because it does give us a very clear, like, this is the stage I'm in, and this is what I should be doing in that stage, which I think is fantastic because we all need a system. And I think, especially when it comes to finances, it can be so difficult for people to know, where do I draw the line? What do I do? When do I do it? When do I start this or that regarding to my finances? And you broke it down into a very easy to understand adulting uh, stage. You're doing this. The striving stage has certain things that you're doing. You're amassing wealth. You're saving aggressively. You're preparing for that fulfilling stage. And I, by the way, that was my favorite part of the book, because as you know, with our, our own heart uh, for what we do with getting money right is to help people become funny, uh, that they'll be able to fulfill their true life's purpose. So this goes along with what we believe, which is you do everything you do in life. You amass all this wealth and knowledge and ability and experience. And now it's time for you to help others who are trying to figure that out. And there's a certain amount of wealth and wisdom that that we all gain, hopefully, especially if we're lifelong learners and we have a focus outside of just ourselves, that it's so beneficial. And I was talking to my daughter, who's a millennial, and she said to me, she said, the one thing that your generation needs to do more than anything is you guys need to sit down with us and teach us the things that you think we already know, that they taught, the information's already on the internet, and we could just YouTube it or watch it. And she said, that's not true. We need your perspective. We need your wisdom. We need that experience that you have because there's just information overload. And if we're not equipped to make these decisions, we'll make those decisions like buying too much house that's going to cripple us financially for years to come. So I so appreciate that you broke that down and, and, and really focused on the fact that once you step into the striving stage, you got to get serious. This is life, but you're doing it for a very important reason, that when you're in your fulfilling stage, you can truly, truly add value to other people. Yeah, and Leo, I want to just second what you just said. As, I was, as I've been doing the national press tour for my book, I have had young people who have been involved in taking my picture scheduling this, uh, the, the interviews, working with various media sources, mm-hmm. said, could you spend a, a little time with us? And my, in particular, the photography team, there were four millennials, and I spent over an hour just talking about money. And they awesome. wanted to just sit down and talk about money. How yeah. do I, Harry, how do we do this? How should we look at this? Where can we go? Who can we talk to? And I think this gets back to what I said earlier about the lack of fundamental personal finance education. And where do they go? And you're right. The internet today, so much, your daughter's so much, so right. So much is out there. How do we distill it, make it usable and actionable for people? Right, right. Well, we're up on our time for this episode, uh, Harry, but I would love for you to stick around because there's a few more things that we want to dig into, which we're going to do in the next episode. Stick around. We're going to close this one out, but uh, so appreciate your time. And this has been fantastic so far. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Really my pleasure. And again, my honor to be with both of you. 
Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode, and I hope that you will take some time to go over to Harry Stout's website, The Financial Verse, and the actual website is financialverse.com, and check out all of the incredible resources. One of my favorite things when digging around on his website was the resources page. And a lot of the resources that Leo and I have put up in the past have been, uh, you know, budget tools, Excel spreadsheets. But what I love about what Harry has on here is he has stuff that can really help you in a specific season of your life. So looking at employee benefits, there's going to be a time when you're trying to go through and understand employee benefits better. There are resources and links to dig deeper into that, into consumer personal finance, what, what it looks like to be protected from issues with your bank, from issues with potentially an insurance company that may have an issue, uh, uh, some debt resources, life insurance uh, resources, Medicare. So take some time to go over to financialverse.com. We recommend you pick up a copy of the book. Uh, you can buy it online. I think that he's got a Kindle version that is just an online reader for less than $8. And then you can buy the print book, which of course, that's Leo and I's you know, initial plan is we always go and highlight and write in the margins. And so we're looking physically right here at the book right now. It's easy to read. Uh, we, we've really enjoyed it. So I think that one is around $17. And you can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, BAM, right? Books a Million. When was the last time you stepped into a Books a Million? But they're online and you can pick it up easily. And then you can also just check out the rest of the tools that he offers you to serve you in your personal finance journey. Uh, I hope that you'll also spend some time checking out Leo's website, leosebo.com, and come over to stewardshippastors.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, go over and rate and give him a positive review on Amazon or anywhere that you see Harry's content go out there, put a comment on his blog, let other people know about it, share it, forward it, pass it along. And all together, we just want to thank you for joining us because we know that together we can keep getting money right. There are five to 10 different challenges that individuals are going to face in each stage of the financial verse that they really need to sit down understand and see if they're taking appropriate financial actions to protect themselves mm -hmm.